Any of you go to Greg's recently? A few of us? I used to go to Greg's. I used to work on Oxford Road. There was a Greg's at the end of the road. So not every day, not every every week, but sometimes I'd go along. So there was a man who used to go to Greg's every day. And he'd eat, you know, he'd turn up at work with this uh, greasy bag with a jumbo sausage or steak pie or um, chicken bake or something. He's putting on a lot of weight. So he said, you know, he said to his colleagues, I've prayed about this. I'm going to stop going to Greg's now. And they said, well, that would be amazing if you stop going to Greg's. We'd like to see that. Anyway, the, the next day he turned up at work. Um, turned up at work with a cheese and onion pasty. Big one, jumbo size in a paper bag. And his colleague said, well, we thought you weren't going to Greg's anymore. I said, well, I, I prayed about it this morning. And I said, Lord, if you want me to go to Greg's to buy a pie or a pasty, please may, they be, may there be a parking space right in front of Greg's on this busy road. <laughs> because you can't park on this road. It's the busiest road in town. And his colleague says, well, that road is really hard to park on. Nobody gets a parking space on that road. So then one of them says, so there wasn't a parking space right in front of Greg's, was there? And the guy says, it was a miracle. I, I just drove round, and the 19th time I drove round the block, <laughs> there it was. Parking space right there. And sometimes, it's, it's ridiculous, but maybe not so ridiculous. Sometimes we do load our own priorities onto the Lord and ask him to do it. This is what I want, Lord. And it's kind of your job now to do it, because this must be the right thing. We really want God to do something, we're in a mess again, and we just want him to do what we want him to do. Sorry, I went on too much there then. Uh, So we expect God's rubber stamp. We can even do it in an apparently selfless way, but it is really selfish. So for example... I've known of situations and sometimes been involved where you know, we plan a mission and we say, this is going to be great. Let's, for example, do a great mission in the middle of Lim and this is what it'll be like, this is what Lim needs. Or even I'm going to go to this foreign country that I've read about, I've seen a program about it and obviously that's the place for me to go. And then we pray to God and say, Lord, this is clearly what I need to do and will you bless it now? And we're kind of asking God to rubber stamp what we've already decided. And we're saying, you know, this is what we want to do. Lord, will you get on board? Whereas actually it should be the other way around. We should be saying, Lord, what do you want to do in this place? How can I get on board with that? Nothing wrong with asking God for what we want, but it has to be a balance. Uh, and we, what God wants is also important. So we are, we are into a new series. We're going to have about five Sundays talking about prayer, and in particular, the Lord's Prayer. And we'll go through it. But as we go through, we'll also ask some questions about prayer. And we'll come to them repeatedly. There'll be a few questions that we, basic things, if you like, like what is prayer? Why is it hard? How does it work? How does prayer actually work? So just as an introduction today, let's have a quick look at those questions before we get into the Lord's Prayer. So what is prayer? For any relationship to foster, to grow, what do we need in that relationship? More than anything else, communication. Whether it's your partner, your son or daughter, your parents, your brothers or sisters, that relationship won't develop without communication. So prayer is talking to God. At its simplest level, it's communicating with God. Just talking with God. That's what prayer is. 
Well, then why is it so hard? Why is prayer so hard? Well, one thing is time, isn't it? We often feel we don't have time. So there's another story. There's a guy who went to work as a lumberjack. He, he did a trial, and the foreman said, well, you seem pretty good, you're hard working, I'll employ you, you can start on Monday. So this fellow started chopping down trees on Monday, he brought his own axe. He worked really hard. He worked through his breaks. He was the first one there in the morning. He was the last to leave in the afternoon. But by Wednesday, the foreman came and said, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to have to let you go. Because you're not cutting down as many trees as all these other fellows. And the guy says, well, that's impossible. I, I'm fit and healthy. I come here before anyone else. I stay longest. I, don't, I work through my breaks often. And the foreman looked at him and thought, this is a conscientious fellow. And said, have you actually been sharpening your axe? He said, I haven't had time. And isn't prayer a bit like that? Aren't we called to actually spend a few minutes a day, at least, in silence, reading, listening to God, praying, which can set, which can set the whole course for our life that day, if we're good at doing it. But we live life at 90 miles an hour, don't we? And uh, so often we get run to the end of the day and maybe it's a hurried prayer or maybe we just don't pray sometimes. But then we're not sharpening our axe. That is the thing. This is the thing that sharpens us for life. And if we don't do it, well, we run into roadblocks. Or as my uh, old minister at Bramwell once said to me, if you're too busy to pray, you're too busy. Why is it so hard? One reason is that we run out of time or we don't have time. The other reason I think that we find prayer sometimes hard is sometimes we don't know how to pray. And we're not sure how to pray. We don't have the words. And one way to address that, there are many ways to address this topic, is the Lord's Prayer. Uh, John led us today in both, both using it as a prayer, just say it. If you run out of words, just say it. Or as a pattern, a pattern that we can actually use it as a framework for our own prayers. Because that prayer covers all the things we should be praying about. And one other thing when we're talking about how to pray is, and I'll only spend a minute on this, is, is, it, is we should try and become more prayerful. Prayerfulness. What is prayerfulness? Well, prayer, if you like, is me stopping at a certain point in the day, at a specific event, at a prayer meeting, at my house, before I go to bed, and saying, I'm now going to spend this time in prayer, this specific time. But prayerfulness is not so much something we do, it's something we can be. It's something we aspire to be throughout the day. So prayerfulness would be me, for example, walking along and just dialoguing with God occasionally, or carefully driving along and prayerfully saying, Lord, what would you have me pray for in this area that I'm driving through? What about these people I'm going to meet today? Would you have me, what would you have me do for them and say for them? So prayerfulness is an attitude. It's dialoguing with God throughout the day. And uh, um, Phil Jump, who's a regional minister, uh, senior minister in this area, did a letter session a few years ago now on prayerfulness. And he said, yeah, I've got a quote for him, but he, he, said, um, uh, he said, most of our church prayer meetings, he said, tend to be a predictable series of requests pointed in the same direction. A predictable series of requests pointed in the same direction. And then he said, 
rather than, or might it be better, rather than, rather than imploring our churches to pray more, that we encourage them to be more prayerful. To be more prayerful. I wrote, a, I wrote up what he said, actually. It's on my website, sevenminutes.net. Search for prayerfulness. And you'll see what he had to say about that. And if you want to know how the Simpsons pray, ask me later. <laughs> so, what is prayer? We've talked about that. It's talking to God. Why is it hard? We find it short of time. Sometimes we don't know how to pray. And thirdly, well, how does prayer work? As a mechanism, how does it actually work? Is it a numbers game? Is it all about numbers? Is it the case that uh, if I get the whole church to pray, God is more likely to hear my prayer and do something about it? Is it about numbers? That's the church that I've been to two or three times, not recently, but in the past, when I was in Seoul, South Korea. It's the biggest church in the world, Yoido Full Gospel Church. And uh, I think the last, I didn't look it up, but the membership when I was there was about 500,000. And any service you were at would have 50,000 people. And at one point in the services, you'll just say, let's pray. And people just pray aloud. And uh, the, the, the reason given for the growth, the explosion of Christianity in South Korea in the last 30 years is just prayer. Thousands and hundreds of thousands of Christians praying. So is that what it's about? Well, well to some extent, yes. To some extent, God values the fact that uh, we, we, we come together, that we pray together. And praying together is something we believe in, asking other people to pray for things that matter to us. That can also strengthen us, that other people are praying with us, and can change us for the better. But God also hears the single prayer, said in quiet, the single solitary prayer. So this is why it's a mystery God will also listen to the single solitary prayer. So somehow, and I don't understand how, in the mystery of God, my tiny prayer said in a moment while I'm watching the news can make a difference to a disaster happening thousands of miles away. A tsunami, a bushfire, an earthquake, something that's happening. That's the mystery of God, that our single solitary quiet prayer, a tiny prayer can make a difference as well. How does prayer actually work? How does God answer prayer is another question. That, and we will come to these questions repeatedly over these weeks. How does God answer our prayers? Well, sometimes it can be spectacular and direct. But God actually, we see the answer to our prayer immediately or, or, or um, let's say in a clear way. We see that um, a situation has changed we see that we've got that job. We see that we've passed that driving test. Or we see that this person is made well again when they shouldn't have been or we didn't think there would be. And that can happen. That does happen. More often, God works through... Uh, God, God asks us to trust him and God works in a quiet way behind the scenes. And this is hard when we're praying for a situation to change and it doesn't feel like God's in it. Because it's not changing. And we have to trust God and say, well, I can only see this situation. But God sees the big picture. He can see my whole life. He can see his whole kingdom. That's hard. And we will talk again about what to do when God is silent. When we don't seem to get an answer. And of course, 
Sometimes we can be the answer to our prayers ourselves, can't we? Please, if we're praying for that lonely person who nobody visits, and God might say, well, why don't you? And we, sometimes we can be the answer to our own prayers. Okay, so just that was just a, a very quick skate around some questions around prayer. Let's now go into the passage, the Lord's Prayer. So the disciples are walking along in Luke's Gospel, and they say, teach us how to pray. In Matthew's Gospel, which we look at, it's presented slightly differently. But if we are serious, in any case, about our discipleship, if we're serious about being a Christian, then we will want to grow in prayer, and we will want to understand prayer, because that's the communication, that's the way your relationship with God will grow if you pray. So what better place to start? Let's have a look at this prayer in Matthew's Gospel. So Jesus on prayer, he's actually talked about fasting first, then he talks about prayer, and he says, Now when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And this morning, we're simply going to look at those two lines. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And let's start with that second line, hallowed be your name or holy be your name. Your name matters. Your name, your name actually matters. Your name, for example, uh, gives authority on legal documents. It's your name that gives that authority. Because your name says something about you. Signing your name says something about your character, what people can expect from you. If you sign a, a, a document, people might say, you know, you know, Hannah Smith, we know that name. And we, she has a good credit record and we trust her, right? Says something about her. Her name says something about her. Your name says something about your character. Similarly, when it comes to God, God's name says something about him. God says, God's name says what we can expect from him. What is his character? But if his name says something about him, we need to know what God's name is. If, to know why God's name really matters, we need to know something of what God's name really is. Now, we're going to look at God's name. In fact, there are many names of God in the Bible, uh, and you'd be glad to know we won't go through all more than a hundred of them. Many of them are not are, are actually translated into a sentence, so you might not see it as a name. Um, like when Abraham uh, was about to sacrifice Isaac, his son, and God said, "Don't sacrifice Isaac." 
Now I know that you trust in me. Sacrifice this, this ram instead. And Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. But actually the translation is, he called that place Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. That's the name of God. So let's just look at some, two, four of these names. Two of them in the Old Testament and two of them from the New Testament. Anybody know a name of God in the Old Testament? Yahweh? Yes. Anything else? I am. Anything else? Elohim. Do you know what it means? It means Lord. That's the first name of God in the Bible in Genesis 1. It means that, but it also means the creator, the creator God. God created Elohim is used in Genesis chapter 1. But the most common name in the Old Testament is this name Yahweh, or sometimes written because Hebrew uses vowels differently to us as YHWH. This name occurs thousands of times. It's a very, very holy name of God, and Orthodox Jews, it's so holy, Orthodox Jews wouldn't say it and wouldn't even write it down. They, say, they would say it's too holy. I'm not worthy to say this name. It's the name of God, for goodness sakes. You can't just say that. So they wouldn't say it. And also, uh, the Latin translation of that into the Roman character set that we use is Jehovah, which is where we get Jehovah from. And there are many names uh, that start with Jehovah in the Bible. Jehovah Jireh is one. Jehovah Nisai, the Lord our banner, is another. Or Gideon built an altar and, and said and called it Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. And all these are names of God, individual names of God. So Yahweh is the root of many names of God in the Bible. And then just one other one in the Old Testament is Adonai, which simply means Lord, ruler. Often Adonai is used instead of Yahweh because Yahweh was too holy to write down. So the scribes would write down Adonai instead as a word meaning ruler, meaning majesty, respect and authority. But there are many more. So the Lord provider, the Lord almighty, the Lord creator, Elohim, uh, majesty, respect and authority. These are names of God in the Old Testament. We'll leave the Old Testament there. I go to some New Testament names of God. What are some New Testament names of God? Emmanuel, God is with us, yeah. I didn't hear that. Messiah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which are? Morning star. Bright morning star. That's a beautiful name, isn't it? But isn't the uh, most common name in the New Testament is this one. If I can get it to move. Uh, Jesus, the Christ. Technically different to the names of God in the Old Testament, but Jesus is a name of God. The anointed one, technically different, but yet a name of God. It's a powerful name. Just the name, Jesus, said by a believer, has power. And we forget that so often, and we don't realize that when we use the name Jesus. Uh, it says here, uh, Paul, in Acts, Paul, having become greatly annoyed, there's a, there was a girl who was following them with a spirit, with some kind of evil spirit. Paul, becoming greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And the spirit obeyed. And that... We, we might read past it because we, we look at the event, the Spirit came out, but the name is the reason, and that many times occurs in, in the New Testament. So Peter in Acts 4 says, there is no other name, no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. 
Or John at the end of his gospel says, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and Messiah. And by believing you might have life in his name, in his name. Or um, Philippians 2 in that wonderful uh, poem, that wonderful poem where, where Paul says, uh, your attitude should be that of Christ Jesus who being in very nature, God did not consider equality, to, of, uh, equality with God something to be grasped. And then he goes through this thing. And at the end he says, and God exalted him so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord at the name of Jesus. There's power in, just in the name of Jesus said by a believer. And often we forget that. <clears throat> Through familiarity, we forget the power of the name when spoken by a believer. It's in a lot of our songs. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Uh, Jesus' name above all names. What a beautiful name it is. And a lot of these songs are about the name of Jesus. And, uh, and, and we need to, when we sing those songs, think it's the name of Jesus that this song is about. Because it's a powerful name. And then there's one more name, which, well, there's many more names, but there's one more that I want to use, uh, which on the face of it, because the names I've given you so far are about power, creator, majesty, and might. But there's another name in the New Testament, which almost contradicts these. Do you know what it is? Son of man. Son of man. Savior. What else? What, what name, what's the intimate name that got, that we were given? Sorry, I should, yeah, the intimate name, which kind of almost goes against everything I've said. It's Abba, isn't it? It's where where uh, this name is given. It's not majestic or powerful, but it's intimate and familiar, and it actually means daddy. It's an affectionate name. It's the name that Jesus used of his father God in the Garden of Gethsemane. He cried to Abba, can you help me? If there's any other way, then please don't let me go through this. But not my will, but your will. And uh, it's, a, it's a name for, for a father. It literally means the affectionate name between a father and a child. The affectionate name between a father and a child. Uh, some people, for some, who, some of us who've not had a good fatherhood uh, with our fathers, that's a difficult concept for us. Um, there was uh, some violence in my parents' marriage. And our father left us and tried to sell the house from underneath us. And he was mentally ill, but we didn't know at the time. And for some of you, you may have similar stories or more difficult stories. And uh, that pain never actually completely goes away. But God, our father, wants to, would say, I would come alongside that. Not to neutralize or to take away, but to come alongside it and actually share that broken image of, of your father and become your Abba. It's a difficult thing. And if that's you, let's talk afterwards. But this is a, 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 sp- a special name that seems that goes in the opposite direction to all the other names that were given to God. And it's a, it's a contradiction. It's an absolute contradiction. It's the word name that Paul uses. And it's a contradiction that this God... Whoops. I'm not doing anything. I'm not touching anything. Look. (laughs) Just building up there. (laughs) 
mind of its own. I'm going to carry on. If we go, uh, it's this, this name of Abba which is given to us, an absolute contradiction where God says, uh, it, it, it's an outrageous and a risky name to use, and yet Jesus says, Jesus tells us to use this name. Thank you. One more on then. That calling God our Abba is an outrageous and risky thing to do, but exactly what Jesus told us to do. And think about it. This God, we've heard some of his names today, the Almighty One, the beginning and the end, the Creator, this God who is who created all things from nothing, this God who put the constellations into the sky, this God who flung the galaxies into space, this God who spins our earth on its axis just at the right angle so we have spring, summer, autumn and winter, this God who created and designed every living thing on this planet, this God who paints the sky in glorious colours, says, you can call me daddy. But don't forget who I am. You can call me daddy, but don't forget who I am. So do we see now why in that prayer it starts with a contradiction, our father, holy is your name, and why that name is holy, why it's hallowed. These are the names of God, God treats his name seriously, or as um, Tom Wright says in his book on the Lord's Prayer, he, he, he re-paraphrases that start. Our Father in heaven, may your holy name be honoured. May you be worshipped by your creation. May the entire cosmos resound with your praise. Because to hallow something is to set it apart, to consider it holy. Hallowed be your name then, when we say that in prayer, is worship. It's an acknowledgement and it's worship of God. So, quickly then, if God's name is so holy and precious, is it possible to misuse God's name? Is it possible to use the name of God wrongly? And yes, it is. And uh, the third commandment in Exodus says, God takes his name seriously and it says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. It's a precious thing. The Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So there are actually, as I've said before, Orthodox Jews who refuse to even say the name Yahweh. Now, we don't need to be superstitious about it, but we need to take care with the name of our God. God considers his name to be precious. And there are three ways that we can misuse God's name. The first one is the one that that you will know, that most people know, that in society today... The name Jesus Christ is used as a swear word in our offices, on TV, all the time. There's a friend of mine who's a minister, and she got fed up with this one. She was working before she came as a minister in an office, and the guy next to her would say, Jesus Christ, as a swear word. And so she learned the name of his wife was Judith. So now and then, if something happened, she'd say, oh, Judith. And I'd spill a cup of coffee, oh, Judith. And he'd say, what are you talking about? That's my wife's name. And she said, well, do you find that offensive? He said, yes. He said, well, I find it offensive when you shout Jesus Christ, actually, as well. I'm not suggesting you do that. <laughs> but it might be a way of explaining it that, to me, that's like you shouting the name of your mother or your, or your wife or your husband. That, that's what it's like. So that's the first name, the name of Jesus, 
the name of God is misused. The second name, through history, God's name has been misused to sanction what is not of God. People have used God's name to sanction slavery, to to justify apartheid, even to defend the Holocaust. Or more recently, to subjugate groups of people, to subjugate women, to subjugate people of a certain sexuality and make them suffer in God's name. That's a misuse of God's name. And then the third and last way, which I think is one we need to take care of in our churches in particular, it's possible to falsely claim to speak in God's name, that God told me this, when actually it's you that wants this, that you that, you that believes in this. And I've heard and seen that. And we have to be careful. God will speak to us. But when God, we feel God is speaking to us, we need to take it humbly and look for confirmation from other, from other people in the church, from other Christians, from other leaders. Take care when we say God says, because if it's just you saying that, then you are using his name wrongly. Even Paul occasionally said in, in his letters, just so you know, he says, this next thing is not from God, this next part's from me. And he will say that from time to time. And there's one wonderful way. There's three ways we can misuse the name of God. But lastly, there's one wonderful way we can use the name of God correctly and well. And God gives us this way. And it's to pray in Jesus' name. And when we pray in Jesus' name, we use the name of God correctly. It's a privilege to be able to come to God and to pray in Jesus' mighty, powerful and holy name, to pray in his name. And sometimes, I think often, we do it without thinking, don't we, as a kind of coda, as an end to this prayer. Which is okay, but sometimes it's good to recognize why are we, what do we mean by that? When we're praying, when we're saying this prayer, then in Jesus' name, amen, what do we mean by that? Well, it's two things that we mean when we pray a prayer in Jesus' name. The first one is we we believe, we try and pray for what Jesus would ask for if he was here, if he was standing in my shoes. So I try and pray this prayer in Jesus' name, that this is what Jesus would pray for, I hope. I, I, I would like to hope, I would like to think. And then the second thing we mean when we say in Jesus' name is that we're not simply praying in our own power, but in the power of Christ. So, for example, if, uh, if a king was to send a diplomat to a foreign country to speak to a leader, the leader there might say, well, who are you? I don't know you. But the diplomat would say, yeah, but I come in the name of this king. You know him. And the leader would say, yeah, I do know him. So in a kind of similar way, when we come before God... God sees us with the righteousness and even the name of Jesus when we pray in Jesus' name. That we come to God, not just in our own clothes, clothed in our own selves, but in God, in in the clothes of Jesus, in the righteousness of Christ. So, that's uh, the first installment in several. I've done a few things this morning and we've gone around a few different places saying what is prayer and why is it hard and uh, how does God answer. We've talked about the Lord's Prayer. But perhaps just one thing to take away from today's message is the name of the name of Jesus and the name of God is holy and precious. And the next time you pray that Lord's Prayer and you, and you see that contradiction, 
our father, our daddy, hallowed be your name. Just pause on it. Let's do that right now as we pray and end. Thank you, Lord, that your name is the name above all names. The beginning and ending, the Alpha and Omega, the Mighty One, the bright morning star, Elohim, the Creator God, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord Provider, Yahweh, Jesus the Christ, the Anointed One. Your holy name is precious and mighty, and we see that this morning. Thank you that we can call you our Father. Amen.